If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Carol, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 134 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. That's right, I'm back to deliver the classicness you've come to love and expect week after week after week. Today's episode, we're pushing the limits of classicness. We're so classic. We're talking to Lloyd J. Schwartz. Lloyd J. Schwartz, of course, the son of TV mogul Sherwood Schwartz. Sherwood, known, of course, for bringing us Gilligan's Island, the Brady Bunch, and so much joy to each and every one of our childhoods. Lloyd J. Schwartz was there at the beginning of the Brady Bunch. We talk all about the Bradys. We talk all about the Gilligan's Island reunion movies. And we talk about a whole bunch more. Grab your socks because otherwise they're going to fly off and buckle down for ultimate classicness with my conversation with Lloyd J. Schwartz. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. I hope you were able to catch last week's episode. Episode 132 with Dava Savelle. It's an amazing episode. Deep dive into her Emmy win for the puppy episode, which is the episode from the Ellen show where Ellen DeGeneres came out. Considered one of the most influential and important television episodes of all time. It was an honor speaking to Dava, learning all about how that came to be. Dava also shared a ton of great other stories. You got to tune in and catch that. Last Thursday, we had a bonus episode featuring segments from our live show, Crossing the Streams. This Thursday, bonus, bonus, another bonus episode featuring segments from Crossing the Streams. Crossing the Streams is our awesome live show we do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, which is a full hour. You can tune in, comment along. Myself and a bunch of friends and a bunch of rotating guests, we talk about TV shows you should be binging or movies you can't miss and where to find them on your streaming services. It's an awesome show, and on the YouTube channel, if you follow us there, you can watch the full episodes live or catch up on any of the old past episodes. There's over 75 episodes out there, each with about four or five recommendations in them, so you do the math. That's crazy. But we package up a few segments from across all the episodes into the bonus episodes, so... If you can't check out YouTube or watch live, just sit here in the podcast feed and I deliver it right to your ears. You're welcome. I do want to thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. One of my sponsors, Athletic Greens, has a really cool product, AG1. You may have heard me talk about it more extensively in other episodes. I do love the product. I take it myself. And if you go to athleticgreens.com slash you can get a special deal, but even easier for you, 
If you go to my Instagram, at Jeff Dwoskin Show, give me a follow while you're there. I appreciate Just DM me, hashtag AG1, and I'll send you that link. Because who's remembering that link? I don't know. Just DM me on Instagram, at Jeff Dwoskin Show, hashtag AG1, and I'll hook you up. All right. Well, without further ado, I'm going to share my conversation with Lloyd J. Schwartz with you. Get ready for a lot of Brady Bunch chatter. If you're listening to this while you're heading off to a Brady Bunch trivia night, consider yourself well prepared, and I expect you to win and report back in the morning. In the meantime, pull up a plate of pork chops and applesauce and get ready for my conversation with Lloyd J. Schwartz. Enjoy. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, director, producer, writer of the beloved Brady Bunch, Gilligan's Island, and so much more. He's brought so much joy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Lloyd J. Schwartz. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I am so happy to be here. Talk to you. Great to have you here, too. I wanted to make sure everyone caught the J. Stands for Jeffrey. (laughs) (laughs) There's not many Jeffreys left, so I mean, we gotta like, uh, we gotta. <laughs> it's a it's a funny thing because I uh, my very first contract they said asked for my middle initial, and so I put it down, and then I just felt uh, it's not it's a little it's yeah uh, I don't know it's a little tidy tidy whatever that is, but uh, I've I've been using that ever since, so there we go. It works, it works. I love it. Um, so you've been a part of so many amazing things. You can kind of see in my background, maybe like I got my. Greg Brady there. That's uh, <laughs> I know you worked on Happy Days. I got some Happy Days signatures back there. All the work on the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island, and and working of course with your father Sherwood. And I'd love to get to all that. I'd love to know how you got started, though. I understand you did stand up comedy at some point. Yeah, uh, while I was in college, I was actually writing for television. By that time, I wrote uh, Love American Style. I, I got a degree at UCLA in, in, in uh, TV writing, and then I did stand up. My partner was a Black Panther. And uh, we did very, very uh, controversial material. And eventually we were thrown out of many clubs. <laughs> and so uh, at that time, dad had created, I'd already worked with him on Gilligan and, Bra- and uh, uh, It's About Time. And he created the Brady Bunch. And he said uh, he wanted me to come over and be a dialogue coach for the Brady Bunch. And I said, no, you're just giving me that because I'm your son and whatever. And he said, well, okay, who should be a Brady Bunch uh, dialogue coach with these six kids? And I said, well, somebody who's worked with kids. And he said, well, you ran a summer camp. And I said, yeah. And he said, I said, someone who's been a dialogue coach before. And he said, well, you were. And he said, somebody young. And I certainly was that. Somebody who's in performing. And, and okay, okay. He kind of nailed me that way. So I said, okay, I'll be a dialogue coach. And they gave me these six kids. And they said, here, here's the Brady Bunch kids. Uh, work with them and get them prepared for each scene. And that's what I did. And by the end of that season, I said, you know, I can do more than this because Paramount at that time, we were working at Paramount. They sent me, started sending me out as a dialogue coach for kids, which is not what I wanted to do on other shows. So I said, I'll be a, a social producer. And so I was a social producer and I was successful at that. And actually, then I quit at the end of that too. And he, I said, what do, you, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'll direct. So I directed and I was only 22, 23 years old. Then I said, well, I don't want to be a TV director. I want to be a producer. So then I was a producer. And I was the youngest producer in the business and we became a team and we were the only father-son uh, producing team. And with Brady, I did uh, everything after that. Every for Brady Bunch has been so many things, you know, half hour comedies and then a three camera show and a movies of the week. And, you know, uh, you know, we have a musical that plays around everything Brady, including the feature films. 
And so I've done a lot of other stuff, but Brady just keeps coming back, you know, in, in one way or another. And uh, I, like I always say, uh, Brady Bunch is a lot of things, but over isn't one of them. And so <laughs> there we go. And, you know, we, we were on the air in the, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 10s, the teens, and now we're going to do stuff in the 20s. That's incredible. My own personal life, when I started dating my wife, so okay. this would be late 90s, our first dates in Pontiac, Michigan at the Strand Theater, they had the real live Brady Bunch. Right. They took a, every week they took an episode and they did it live. It was mm-hmm. close to the style of what the movie became, meaning it was a little over the top. I remember one of the episodes was the Davy Jones episode and Davy Jones yeah. was there. He, <laughs> he actually played himself. It was one of those things where, you know, we both loved Brady Bunch growing up and Actually, we, I remember we didn't have any money, so we actually offered to usher <laughs> so we could go okay. every week and see every episode. It was, it was oh. a great, it's a great memory. The memories outlive the theater, but, oh, yeah. It, but yeah, it's, it's just amazing how it keeps coming back and coming back. <laughs> well, you know, that real live Brady Bunch, up until that moment, I didn't think the Brady Bunch could be satirized because I had just done the real show. And was there enough to satirize? I saw it. It was very funny. And so when Paramount asked us to do a feature film with the Brady Bunch, I said, well, uh, there's six kids in a house. We don't really have a movie. And dad and I talked about it and said, we, we could do it as a satire. And that's how that evolved, the feature films. I think the, the Brady Bunch movie, the original Brady Bunch movie, is by far one of the best. Because there was a flood of those kind of movies at that time, where every TV show they were turning right. into a movie. The concept of the Brady Bunch still being in the the seventies, but in mm. but in now was so brilliant. It was yeah. just it it was such a great great movie. I did have a question for you on that though. I know okay. you worked on the Monsters Today, right? And the Monsters Today's concept, which was it predates the Brady Bunch movie. The Monsters Today concept was they slept from That's the right. time that we knew them as the Monsters and then woke up in the eighties. So That's right. Now you're thinking that, that that's what he, but no. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering, well, you worked on both. So I'm wondering like, yeah. oh, if you would kind of without, oh, here's a good thing. And it worked, you know, it worked, might work even better. You know, there was a tweak of the concept. It, was, like, it, uh, it wasn't me that came up with that for the Brady Bunch movie. Oh. Uh, it was me that came up with that for the Munsters. And you're the first one that's ever pointed that out. Actually, there was a cross connection of the two. No, it was, it was we had actually written a, a different movie script for the Brady Bunch movie, which was kind of a, Desperate Hours thing. Two convicts get into the Brady house. Uh, eventually, they get Bradyized, pretty much like what happened in the, the feature film. But then as you know, movie business goes, we were thrown out our script and they brought in these other writers who had that idea. So the tone was all what dad and I thought of. No, that's very cool. It, one of the, and then you drew from multiple, multiple episodes for that movie. Right. Uh, not too long ago on this podcast, I had Nicholas Hammond, who was Doug okay. Simpson, the original OG Big man on campus. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, was was that the sudden something suddenly came up episode? That yeah, oh my nose, oh my nose, yeah, um, <laughs> oh my nose. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was yeah. fun. We talked about we talked about the episode. It was just it was funny. Just he's like, I, it's weird. I like I'm on one episode and that becomes like a classic episode. Yeah, I was like, he even mentioned like he didn't even meet half the cast because he wasn't really in scenes with all of them. So, but that was funny. And then how was it working with uh, Betty Thomas as a director for that movie? Well, she was brilliant. I didn't select her. Alan Ladd Jr. was one of the uh, other producers. And I was, we were, uh, it was issues between us all. And he brought in Betty, but Betty really had a great feel for the whole thing. And I think she's the one really made the the satire work. Um, I'm fond of her work in that movie. Yeah. 
Did you guys get a kick, you and your father, out of seeing like Shelley Long and Gary Cole, like create new versions of these characters with the heart of the original characters in mind? That was an interesting thing because I had a whole different idea for the casting. Gary, who I'm very fond of it, as I am Shelley, and I think they did great impersonations. I saw it as uh, I wanted Madonna as Mrs. Brady because I thought I, I just wanted to poke fun at it that way. And they went the impersonation way. And uh, it was great. I really wanted to see it a little bit of a different way. I thought we would have made a lot more money if Donna had been Mrs. Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I could, I'm going to say Shelley Long, I think, holds up. I mean, it's, it's a great Carol Brady. She did great. She did great. <laughs> I'm very fond of both of them. But I'm sure I'm sure the what ifs. Were there any other any other casting ideas that you had before landing on the cast that you had? I kind of wanted like Kevin Nealon of Mike Brady. I was thinking that way. And I wanted, if they didn't like Madonna, Barbara Mandrell was very much like Florence's history. I mean, we never really got to that. Yeah, very cool. So uh, back to the the original Brady Bunch. Okay. So, uh, what What is a dialogue coach exactly? Okay. Well, in movies, it's different. A movie help, usually helps people with accents and things. But with with my, my job, as I saw it, uh, and dad had never said how to do the job. He said, here's these six kids. I just wanted to make sure they knew all their lines. And when they went into the scene and not only their lines, but they had to get the concept of it all. So what I would do is I would go to their, I was single at the time and I'd go to their houses the night before if it was, you know, each show featured one of the ch- children. So I went over there, I got a free dinner and then we would just discuss the show and what it meant. And, and they got all that. And so when they went into the scene, the director just had to worry about uh, where they needed to go and, and like that. Got it. Did I read that at some point they started eliminating some kids from some of the scripts to save money? Well, you're you're really very thorough about your research. They did that for I think it was maybe half a season, and then it just became like it was it was it was awkward because most people, most audiences would tune in to see one of their favorite kids, and if he wasn't in it or she wasn't in it, that wasn't going to work. They were trying, you know, that they were trying to save money. Yeah. How did the music slant come along? Because some of those songs, the Brady Bunch kids songs are so. Yeah. Well, it's funny because Partridge Family had songs in every episode, but we had to justify if the Bradys were going to sing. It was like a talent show or it was a, some kind of contest or something. It was, it was some of the fun, the most fun for the kids, except for Chris, because Chris couldn't sing a note. And uh, most of the time when they would do song numbers, they just just open your mouth and move your mouth. Please don't sing. <laughs> uh, it was great fun. And a lot of those songs are very well known now, you know, Sunshine Day, you know, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the movie, they're, they're well played out, too. Is, right. Wasn't there an episode where didn't they have Christopher Knight, like his voice was changing? Right, <laughs> right. Well, with, any, with, all, with all the episodes, we, we started to slant them to who the kids really were, as opposed to most TV shows where a kid, you know, they describe children, this one eats all the time, and that one's a science nerd, and, you know, whatever. We didn't have descriptions for the kids. We just wanted real kids and we began to see who they were. And so episodes would kind of feature that. And since Chris couldn't sing too well, that's where we did that episode. Oh, that's really funny. His voice cracked. This is something I've never said before, but when his voice cracked and he went, when it's time to change, it's time to change like that. That was the other producer at that note. <laughs> he dubbed that him, you know, as Howard Leeds. <laughs> uh, well, as long as you're not going to tell me it wasn't him saying pork chops and apple sauce. Well... <laughs> No, that, you know, the, the history of that was Chris uh, had to do that episode where he was trying to get a personality. And in the script, it said, like Humphrey Bogart. And so he had never heard of Humphrey Bogart. And it wasn't so you could turn on the TV and see an ep- you know a movie of, in those days. So I said, okay, Chris, do it like this. And then I did an impression of Humphrey Bogart. 
And then Chris did an impression of me doing Humphrey Bogart. And so if you ever ask him about it, he says, I never did Humphrey Bogart. I did Lloyd Schwartz doing Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel like most people do uh, impressions. It's always the person on Saturday Night Live. You're impressing, you're doing an right. impression of them doing the impression. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's I, do, I don't do very good impressions, by the way. So, and his was even worse than mine. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So was it, was it true that Barry Williams and uh, Florence Henderson went on a date and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> Well, it's true they went on a date, but all that kind of stuff is not true. <laughs> but but uh, Barry liked music and Florence knew everything about music. And so I think his dad even drove them to this quote unquote date. They went to see it. And when walked through the door, she kissed him on the cheek. And that was the extent of their affair. When Barry wrote a book about it, and that became the, the high point of the book and everybody was talking about that. I remember talk, I talked to Florence about it and she said, you know, they're making a deal about it. I said, Florence, no one's going to remember that. Don't worry about it. And that's all they asked about after a while. I was very wrong. <laughs> I remember in the real live Brady Bunch, I remember them playing that up. And then, oh, and yeah. then um, between Barry and Maureen, too. And then like those characters. <laughs> there was issues with Barry and Maureen. I mean, they were they were kids and their hormones were running around. So uh, part of my job, not, not in the job description, but as I saw the job was to keep throw water on them and stop them from being on top of each other. And in one episode, I directed the episode where they had, they sat on a bed together. And I was like, it was, it was a scene where Barry comes and sits down next to, to Maureen. And I saw steam rising from them, you know, in this situation. And so the words were all right, cut at the end and everybody was ready to move on. But I couldn't let that be on the screen. And I also couldn't tell them because they were like 15 years old what the problem was. And so we'd go take after take and it was getting worse. And so I suddenly, I remembered from a class I had at UCLA about psychic distance, putting a barrier. And so I had Barry change the blocking. So he put his arm between them and that was how I solved the problem. But it was, um, yeah. And I also acerbated the problem because in the Hawaii episode, when we all went to Hawaii. I was kind of interested in this woman. And so in the evening, we worked there. So we took a walk on the beach. I took all the kids, you know, and we walked on the beach and it it really moved the needle needle along where it shouldn't have been. It was my fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was that? The, the tiki? The, like, <laughs> yeah. That was with the Vincent Price, right? Right. He was great. He was great. I mean, I've worked with many actors in my career, and I think that he was probably the most professional actor I ever worked with. He was just great. If you talk to anybody who worked with Vincent Price, he, was, he has that reputation. Other than the, the ones that were in love with each other. And I got, you, can't, you can't blame Barry. I mean, no, I told Barry, I said, Barry, look, we all recognize Maureen's a very pretty girl. The idea is you, she has pretty friends. What you got to do is use Maureen to get to her friends. And he, he, he bought that for a while. <laughs> so um, were there any, ever any strife? I mean, I, you know, even fake brothers and sisters probably uh, don't get along at some point. Well, not really. Not really. I mean, there was a couple of issues between Maureen and Eve, you know, and I think some of that because of the episode, they would play up Maureen as being beautiful. And I don't think any girl likes to hear the other ones beautiful all the time, you know, so it was a Marsha, Marsha, Marsha thing. And some of that was genuine, not certainly like it wasn't a show. I mean, not as, not as it, as it was played up in the show, but there was just, there was a little bit of that. Even Susan, Susan always wanted to be older. She wanted to be, a, you know, and she didn't like being the youngest one and saying youngest one sings. There was nothing, I don't, there was never anything between the boys. I mean, the boys always got along great. 
Very and they're cool. they're very good friends to this. Chris and Barry are very close right now. Oh, they always have been. Very cool. I love the running joke about there not being any toilets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, talk to me about uh, cousin Oliver. What 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 what, what yeah. brought in him? He was only in like the last eight episodes, and then they like or something yeah. like that, right? And then yeah. the uh, the series ended. That's right. Well, you know, we were on for five years, and the arc of the show has only had to do with the growing up of the kids. It was by the end of the, the series, you know, Barry was graduating, what we were going to do if we were going to continue. And so the idea was to bring in some youth to it. And so that's how Robbie Riss joined. And we wanted kind of a more unique kind of a kid at that point. So Cousin Oliver was was that. Unfortunately, Robbie has this reputation now as I've killed the Brady Bunch. <laughs> but it, was, it wasn't jump the shark with Rob. I mean, we did, we, our ratings were very high at the end. A new president came into the network and said, uh, that's it. So the Brady Bunch was never a major hit when it was on originally. It was only when it got into syndication where it became, when you saw it, I'm sure, was. Uh, right, right. Then it became like everybody knows every episode. Well, Robbie Rist was in Big John, Little John. That's right. We knew Robbie, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very talented young guy. <laughs> I don't know. It's, he's got these guys. They say he's been given too much credit or blame. <laughs> <laughs> I blame Tiger. There you go. There you go. Very cool. So, all right. So you had that and then Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Like, um, I didn't do the original series. I was like in high school, but I did work with them a lot later when we did the re- reunion movies. I produced those. And, right, right. Uh, uh, what, the cast, the castaways of Gill- on a, the castaways of Gilligan's Island, rescue yeah. from Gilligan's Island, and of course Harlem Globetrotters. Harlem Globetrotters. Yes. I yes. love those. I mean, like I remember distinctly that whole period of time where all these reunion movies were happening. It was joyful to like, like oh, yeah. I loved every single one of those. Watching them get. We did several of those ourselves. You know, um, the funny, funny thing in the the Gilligan one. We couldn't sell that. Dad wanted to sell that. Nobody was going to buy it. And he was talking to somebody somewhere in, at an agency. And the secretary said, how come they, did they ever get off the island? Dad said, well, he's trying to sell it. And that agent was walking by and said, I can sell that. But up until that time, it was just turned down. I remember there was an executive at CBS. And his rejection letter was, not only do I not want to see this, I can't believe anybody wants to tune in to see this. Anyway, that was, and then when it went on the air, it was the highest rated movie of two years. So <laughs> there we go. Oh yeah, but then yeah. They, they went back, right? As I recall, like, of course, because they, they they made it more of like a resort. Sometimes audience should be ahead of you. So when they go on this boat at the end of that movie as a reunion cruise, you know, if everybody couldn't figure out they were going to ship shipwreck again, <laughs> that was obviously what was going to happen. But the, by that time, the cast was getting old, and we couldn't really do the physical things we were we had done when we did when the original Gilligan. And so that's when the idea of the resort opened up there. Why was Tina Louise so resistant to come back? I watched a little bit of, um, what was it? There was a- uh, Specials about this. There was like a real, uh, there was a documentary that yeah. Don Wells did and they kind of touched on it where she thought it was like her show, the original show, it was her show. That's the fine hand of networks. So they needed somebody for that part of Ginger. And so she, Tina was on in New York doing a play and they got her to do the show by saying there's a series where it's about this movie star who was marooned with these other people. Not that it was Gilligan's Island. And so Ginger said, oh, and Tina said, great, there's going to be a show about me. And then she signed on. The network guy was felt good because he had delivered Tina Louise and he went on other things. And then it was problematical. And I remember she had a meeting with dad and said, didn't the title Gilligan's Island give you a hint that it was not about 
However, you know, she, she always thought she had dreams of major stardom and she's a really talented actress. And she thought this, this curtailed that. And so that was, so by the time we did the reunion movie, she said, I had enough of it. So that's why she didn't do them. But she's recently, she's the only survivor of that cast right now. And right. Uh, recently uh, she's, I've read very nice things and she's talks about the fun that she has for the show. I guess by the age of 80 something, you finally get a certain amount of revisionist history. Uh, Lloyd, let me ask you a very important question. Marianne okay. or Ginger? <laughs> well, I have more of a personal thing about that. Because if you remember the rescue movie, there was a guy who was waiting for her from the island what, for 15 years. I played that part. So it was obviously going to be a Marianne for me. So during that movie, it uh, was discovered uh, that uh, while Marianne was on the island, my character had fallen in love with her best friend, not knowing that she would. And so when that all was revealed, they pull Skipper and Gilligan, pull Marianne away so she won't marry me because we felt obligated to get married. And then I had a chance to marry her best friend, played by my wife. <laughs> so there we go. There you go. That's awesome. Keep yeah. it all in the family. All right. Well, that is that is some excellent trivia. And then speaking of excellent trivia, I read that Fred Silverman once tried to pitch a Brady Bunch on Gilligan's Island mashup. Yes, he did. I worked with Fred. I was an executive at ABC. And so this is all pure Fred Silverman that doing that kind of thing. Well, they couldn't happen because Gilligan's Island at that point was on NBC and Brady Bunch was on ABC and there was no way that the studios and there were different studios. And so then Fred said, okay, what about the Dallas cheerleaders on Gilligan's Island? And uh, again, that was the same problem with different networks and all. And then Fred said, how about the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island? Well, dad said when he heard about the Dallas cheerleaders and he said, well, the Globetrotters are much taller. <laughs> he, was, he was kidding the whole thing. We ended up with the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island. Awesome. There was nothing better than that classic group of Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> they were. I had a chance to play against them between scenes or something. And I hit a jump shot over Curly Neal, which I think is the, the height of my athletic endeavors. That is awesome. Yep. <laughs> it's really cool. All right. So you you brought back the, the Brady Bunch had the same. I mean, like Tina Louise not coming back as Ginger. The Brady Bunch sporadically had different ones. Like in the very Brady Christmas, yeah. um, Susan Olsen didn't, wasn't there. Right. And I think, um, I don't know if that you were involved with the Variety Hour, but like huh. uh, Eve Plum didn't come to that because she started to get some some success with acting, I think, and then didn't come back. Then we did the Brady's. Maureen didn't come back. Uh, however, the most recent thing, they all came back for the renovation series, you know, when they did the reality show. I, I caught some of those episodes. That was, it was fascinating how they were trying, they were recreating and then yeah. they would look for those things that you don't notice in the background to like, they point out in the background, like where they're like hunting for this exact right. type of picture or vase or that was, that was a, that was a fun show. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it was, it was funny because I found out about that the same way the world did with the house went up for sale. And then there was a kind of a bidding frenzy. And uh, this was a mysterious buyer bought it, which was Discovery Network. And they had that idea to turn that into this reality series. And then they came to me and eventually they said, why don't you produce it with us? And so I produced that show with them. And it was, it was very, very successful. And uh, there's just maintained the interest in Brady. All the kids got involved. I call them the kids. They're all 60 or 70 or something. But <laughs> I go to most of their weddings and most of the new weddings and the other, you know, so, so, yeah, but it was, it was, it was very successful, very successful. There's been so many, the Brady Brides, the, uh, right. there's been so many Brady Bunch uh, revisits, I guess you would say. Stay tuned. 
because there's there's things right in the work now. I don't know. I <laughs> it just keeps going some way. That, right. Um, okay. Well, I will, that's awesome. All right. So speaking of keeping going, yeah. why has there never been a Gilligan's Island movie? I read that in 2013, Josh Gad tried to do it. I remember, and I have no frame of reference as to what this was, but at one point I remember reading something, and this may or may not be true. It, well, I mean, it's true that I read it. I think I read it. But Chris Farley. <laughs> Chris Farley is the skipper. You know, like, I mean, so that obviously would have been a while ago. Seems that Gilligan's Island would make a pretty cool it would be the best of them all. We've been trying to sell that Gilligan's movie since 1988. And my book, which is not published or anything, but my book about the making of the Gilligan's Island movie, I'm on page 550, and there's no movie in sight. And the book is called Invitation to a Shipwreck. And it has just been a mess with all these different studios coming in and people dying and things and going, going on and on and on and on. And um, I'm, I know that it would be a huge hit, you know, but uh, yeah, one time, Josh, I've been involved with all of those different possible permutations. And some of them were, oh, studios playing games and not trying to do stuff behind our backs and us threatening. I don't know. It just goes on and on. But um, I hope, you know, I hope that there'll be a movie. And one thing I remember, I talked to dad about it on his deathbed, pretty a dramatic time. It was just me and him. And I was promised him with, any, with anything Brady or Gilligan, you're in charge. I said, and my uh, job is to make sure it's something that you would want to do. And so that's the guiding principle. And so I won't allow any of these things to be done unless I thought that he would like them. That, that's, that's really, that's t- very touching. They, uh, yeah, it's important. You got to keep the legacy alive because like, you don't want to tarnish it. It was um, in any way. Right. But I, but I do agree. I do think, like you said, it would be the best. It just, it seems like it's just ripe for it. It's like, so many of them, like a Beverly Hills bi- Hillbillies. Oh, they they say what they try to do all this. And, and it's, you know, I'm very analytical about all this and why it would be a success and how to do it. And Paul red flags. And I said, no, we're not going to let that happen. Every studio's wanted to do it. But uh, the one studio that has it, it's the ownership is now over with the Warner Brothers. They seem to think that they know more than we do. Where the truth of the matter is between Gilligan and Brady, I mean, we've made Paramount, CBS, and Warner Brothers, we made them half a billion dollars. And it seems they haven't made anything that we didn't make for them. So I think they should trust us. They trusted us with, with all the things we've done and they've done well. So, but that studios, you know, it's more important to them to make their movie than a good movie. And so but that's not important to me. I don't, I just want it to be something that we'd be proud of. When it's about the money, it's no good. All right, well, keep, I'm going to cross my fingers that your book has a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Every once in a while, it's because now the book is just, I originally brought up to date and then we just, I just go on and I said, now I'm going into a meeting with something and this is what's going to happen. And it never is what's going to happen. And then it's like, oh, so I've gotten a couple of times I've written recently that, well, I think that's no, there's never going to be a movie. And then I'll just try and publish the book. But every once in a while, something pops up and then it's like, there's going to be a movie again. Very cool. I've done, you know, all these different shows and I also turned to theater. I do a lot of theater. I do have a play I can tell your your listeners about coming up in Los Angeles. It's called Classic Couples Counseling, and it's a play about a therapist for Shakespearean characters. And so she's there, and Hamlet and Ophelia come in, or Romeo and Juliet, or Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, and she tries to help them with their issues. <laughs> so it's a pretty funny play. We're going to do that. Oh, that's a brilliant concept. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah you've, you've, what have you, you've written over 40 plays. Yeah, I've had about, yeah. Well, I've written more than that, but I've had 40 produced in different ways and around the country. 
Uh, they're gonna, there's going to be a, a we do a Brady Bunch musical that's going to be a, like an immersive thing that's going to start. It's going to have a national tour soon. The Gilligan musical plays around, and I've done lots of. I wrote the first dinner theater play called The Nearly Ways, and that plays around. So I enjoy that. And, you know, with with theater, the author's in charge as opposed to ma- major movies where it's the studio or the director. And so when I do a play, you're going to see. Uh, that's what I wanted. Whatever you see is what I wanted. And I've gotten good reviews. I've gotten bad reviews, but I can always say, yeah, well, that's what I wanted. I read that you you write a lot of historical plays. Yeah, I have uh, a few of those that have been done. Um, I've written uh, a play, uh, uh, An Evening with John Wilkes Booth, one man show about John Wilkes Booth. And I wrote a play called Independence, which is about Dr. Mary Walker. She's the only woman to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. And that's just been sold as a feature film with uh, Walden and David Permits kind of produce that. Oh, that's exciting. John Wilkes Booth play. Is that before the incident or after? It's the whole I mean, thing. Like, it's, 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 it takes, it's, it takes it's, you through the whole thing? Yeah. In fact, in the second act, he acts out the entire assassination from everybody's point of view. We have a production of that coming up in April. And then I have a, a children's theater that I run with my wife. We've been doing that for 37 years. And that's Storybook Theater Los Angeles. And those are, we've been, lots, wins a lot of awards, you know. Or, uh, from the city and this, you know, governor and all those. So, well, I'm I'm been very lucky. I've been able to do something in every form, in every in all the media, and in every form in all the media, musicals and power shows and movies and. Very cool. I have a couple of pieces of Brady Bunch trivia. I would like you to. Either. Okay. <laughs> I'm not so good at it. No, I don't watch the shows a lot now. So okay. No, 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 no. This this would have been uh, Mike Brady. Gene Hackman was originally considered thought or sought after? Uh, yeah, I think that that was a, a suggestion that dad had. And I don't know how far that went, but I know that uh, he was a choice that dad wanted. He thought Mike Brady should have been more of a rougher kind of a guy, than, uh, more like a foreman rather than an architect. But uh, then it, it, uh, I don't know how far that went, but that, I've seen that on Jeopardy. He was going to play the part, but I don't know that it was that far along. And Joyce Bullifant was originally yeah, thought of. That was, yeah, that was cast. She was cast. But uh, then suddenly Florence became available. And that changed the whole dynamic of the show because Joyce is, you know, intrinsically a funny person. Florence is, can do comedy well, but she's not a funny person. And so when, when Joyce was out and Florence was in, then we had to get a funnier maid. And so the woman who had been cast as the maid was out and Ann B. Davis was in. So Who was originally cast as the maid? I think her name was... Monty Margetts, something like that. I was not there with original casting. So, but I was totally supportive of uh, Ann B because I love her in the Bob Cummings show. And uh, she went in and we, we became extremely close. She was, uh, her birthday was is May 3rd. Mine's May 2nd. In case your listeners want to send me something. Anyway, man. let us know where you're registered. We'll send some. <laughs> <laughs> of May, Annie would always call me. She moved out of town after the show was over. And so she would always call me on my birthday to wish me happy birthday. And then the next day was her birthday. So I said, well, I got nothing to say to her right now. So I, the next year I would call her the day before my birthday, which was May 1st. And then she caught on to that and started calling me on April 30th. So it was like <laughs> too a, funny, thing, too. a thing. She was absolutely terrific. Terrific woman. I love Ambie Davis. Do you have any other stories about her? Like anything funny well, she maybe did on set or anything? Personal stuff. Um, I was getting a new car and I wanted to get a, a stick shift car. So she drove, she had a little Porsche. <laughs> so she took me out learning how to drive a stick. And we went up to Dodger Stadium and we're driving around. And of course, then the police pulled us over. They were unhappy until they realized it was Alice from the Brady Bunch and they just let us go. So <laughs> that's awesome. 
She also did my first play. It was a dinner theater play called uh, The Nearly Wes. And she'd been doing dinner theater and I didn't know anything about theater at that point. And so I went, it was a terrible play, but they loved her. I said, why are you doing this terrible play? And she said, well, nobody's ever written a play for dinner theater. And all the plays we're getting were kind of Broadway that were not exactly appropriate. So I wrote her a play and uh, she did it. And it was the first play ever written for dinner theater. She did a whole, in fact, when my nine got engaged to my wife, it was announced at, a, at a, one of a, one of the plays. And so uh, I was there with Barbara and Barbara's folks were there. And so Ann B asked Barbara's father for my hand, for her hand in marriage for me from the stage. So it was pretty cool. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. And then did Florence Henderson make everyone use Wesson oil? Like, you know, <laughs> like uh, I don't know the timing though. I wish yeah, you'd I wish you had I'm sorry. Be. The phone is ringing here. I'll just get off it real quick. Hello. There, I should have gone. You can edit that part out, right? Yeah, but how amazing would it have been if like they were like, "Oh my God, the Gilligan Island movie, Gilligan's Island movie just got greenlit." <laughs> then I shouldn't have hung up on whoever it was. <laughs> <laughs> Good news while <laughs> we were talking. Yeah, the movie's on. It's so exciting. I'm a big fan of um, the Love Boat. I've had yeah. uh, uh, Isaac Gopher and the Doc. I've talked to all of them, and uh, you wrote seven episodes. I don't think I wrote seven. I worked on it for about a year. I watched oh, it. Was a, I wrote one, maybe one or two. One of the ones I wrote, and by the way, Ted Lange and I are very close friends. We do a lot of stuff together. And I did a play last year that had Fred Grandy was in. But anyway, the Love Boat one I wrote had Lillian Gish in it. Lillian Gish. Now, that shows how young our business is because Lillian Gish was in the first movie with D.W. Griffith. And I wrote something that she was in at 95 years old. So I remember I, I said, oh, that was pretty great. Yeah, you know, yeah, but that's pretty um, awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I grabbed out uh, IMDb story editor, as it said, and then yeah. one written by. You're right. You're right. Of course, you would be right. It's you. <laughs> hey, listen, so much in there. I don't know. I was going to say Ted Land writes a lot of plays too. Yeah, he, we did a play uh, about eight years ago called One Dozen, where he was a bailiff, and uh, it was kind of a satire of Twelve Angry Men. But uh, we, and then he just, oh, he directed the original production of. Um, of classic couples counseling, we did about uh, seven years ago, and okay. he's, he's very, very much into Shakespeare. So uh, I wanted somebody to do that play more about Shakespeare than I did. Fred was on the show, mm-hmm. talked a lot about a million things, but then one of them was he's doing a one man play right now. Give him hell, Harry. Uh, he's yeah. touring with that. Yeah, we did a play last two years ago. I get mixed up with time because of the pandemic, but two three years ago, um, at that time, it was called Dinner. Dinner at Five, and it had television stars in it. It was about two couples who were in their 70s, and the wives can't stand it anymore with their husbands, so they decided to switch partners. And I had <laughs> Kathy Garver and Fred Grandy and Chris Knight, uh, David Ruprecht, and rotating casts. So that's when Fred and I, that was the first time we had ever really worked together, other than Brady, other than Love Boat. You did work on, uh, you oversaw at some point Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley? Yeah, and Three's Company and What's Happening. Three's Company, What's Happening, right? Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because I was the first guy um, to go from being a network, excuse me, from being a producer to becoming a network executive. I wanted to see what that was like working at the network. And so suddenly I would go around uh, different shows and uh, they'd wait for my wisdom and I would tell them something and then... uh, I'd close the door, they'd, I'd leave, and then they'd probably laugh at the network guy, which was what we used to do. So, But I mean, and, you know, it was it was very good because one of the reasons I wanted to do that, because I don't, up until that point, I'd only worked with my father. And I wanted to see how other producers worked, you know, Bud Yorkin in one case and or Gary Marshall or somebody. 
And um, I was a surprise to me to find out that, uh, to realize that my dad was probably the best producer I'd ever worked with. He cared a lot about the shows and he cared a lot about the people and uh, set a great tone. So it was a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting that. So we got, I guess, the upcoming projects, the Brady Bunch thing we haven't mentioned. Yes. Some of the things I can't, I can't really uh, tell you about some of the things, but there's things in the work. The plays are upcoming. There's a couple of things. I have a couple of feature film things that are looking pretty good. You know, I, I don't want to be one of those people that say this is going to happen that doesn't happen. Right. Because you never know, right? No. And then, but keep plugging away at the Gilligan's Island thing. I'm going to cross my fingers for you. Okay. I'll be first in line for that. <laughs> well, if they do it like I want to do it, it will be a big success. And, and some of the ones that they've suggested, and that's why they sunk, no pun intended, <laughs> were not what dad would have wanted. Got it. Do you hang out on any of the social medias? Where can people keep up with you? I'm on Facebook as me, so people can find it, you know, but most of it's about my family. <laughs> so, Got it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. If you guys want to know what uh, Lloyd Schwartz ate for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, head over to Facebook. <laughs> 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 Pictures of the grandkids that uh, are, are coming up. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed talking to you and best of luck, whatever you're getting involved with. Same to you. Same to you. What is that? It's not even anyway. Same to you. There we go. Retake. All right. How awesome was Lord Joey Schwartz? So many fun stories. If this question's relevant for you, Marianne or Ginger? Or I guess if you don't want to answer that one, Gilligan or Skipper? Why didn't anyone ever ask between those two? I just Marianne and Ginger, now that I'm thinking about it out loud as I say this. Anyway, I was a Marianne, but only because I actually got to meet Dawn Wells once and it was, and she was real fun at a Comic-Con. I met her. Anywho, okay, so, all right, well, that was Lloyd J. Schwartz. Now that the interview is over, you know what that means. What does that mean, Jeff? Oh, it means it's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free, always free hashtag roundup app at the Google Play Store or iTunes app store. Tweet along with us, and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Classic conversations fame and fortune await you today's hashtag is a fun hashtag that i found i had to go back to 2017 but it was worth it because it was was a really fun hashtag hashtag bewitched brady bunch i know right two classic television shows it's a mashup tag brought to you by tv movie tags mashing up bewitched and the Brady Bunch. Hashtag bewitched Brady Bunch. Does it get any simpler than that? I don't think so. All right, let me read some of these hilarious tweets to you. Here we go. Here are some hashtag bewitched Brady Bunch tweets. The Brady kids are hired to perform in a commercial that Darren is pitching. Marsha gets hit by a football, unable to wiggle her nose. She can't do her magic. These are some amazing hashtag bewitched Brady Bunch mashups. A little what ifs, if you will, if we can layer on some Marvel vernacular. There's no toilet in the entire house, just a cauldron. That is definitely a hashtag bewitched Brady Bunch tweet. Tabitha makes fun of babysitter Marsha's broken nose. Oh, my nose. Tabitha just sitting there wiggling that nose while Marsha's riling in pain. Ah, 
That's mean, Tabitha. Marsha sets up dates with both Darrens at the same time. Well, that's a conundrum. I guess you can just tell one of them. Oh, something suddenly came up. Peter invites the neighbors Sam and Darren to dinner. Alice serves pork chops and applesauce. Didn't know you'd hear me do that twice in this episode, did ya? The Bradys never get rid of Tiger's doghouse because the original Darren has been living in it since 1970. That's actually very possible. Alice hires Endora for a love spell so she can finally get Sam the butcher's meat. It's a little racy for Bewitched and a Brady Bunch mashup, don't you think? Mom always says, don't do spells in the house. These are amazing hashtag Bewitched Brady Bunch tweets. Alice leaves Sam the butcher for Dr. Bombay. Who wouldn't? He's a doctor. Tabitha turns her sock monkey into Davy Jones so she can get him to sing at her junior prom when she grows up. I think that's Davy Jones's true origin story. Samantha brings back the Brady's dog, Tiger, with a spell. Sometimes dead is better. Did it? That was a pretty good impression. Anyway, when Marsha takes a blow to the nose, Alice and Carol fall madly in love. Mike is surprisingly supportive. Mr. Brady is replaced by another Mr. Brady and no one notices or says anything. Serena agrees to remove the curse of the Tiki Idol for a price. These are amazing. Hashtag Bewitch Brady Bunch tweets. Could you even pre-imagine when I brought this up, this type of mashup? Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Kitty Carolyn turns all Chucky and murders Sam and Alice while the others are busy with Cousin Oliver. (laughs) I knew that Kitty Carolyn was dangerous. Cindy's lisp actually has magical powers. Between her lisp and Tabitha's nose wiggle, there's a lot going on. And our final hashtag Bewitch Brady Bunch tweet. Cousin Oliver replaces Tabitha and nobody notices. Okay. As always, all those tweets are retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter, at Jeff Dewaskin Show, the home of classic conversations on Twitter and Instagram. Give a follow. Tweet your own Bewitched Brady Bunch tweet. Tag at Jeff DeWaskin Show. I'll show you some Twitter love. Yeah, I will. All right. Well, with the hashtag over and the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. Episode 134 has come to a close. I want to thank my special guest, Lloyd J. Schwartz, for joining me today. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word. And we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.